We've got another episode free of any coronavirus talk for you today, all recorded before any of this came down. So uh, enjoy the lack of coronavirus. Thank you for listening to the Iffy Market Podcast, the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Daryl Prale of VanillaSoft about owning your career. Daryl is the CMO at sales engagement platform VanillaSoft. He's raised funding, taken companies public, and held executive roles in enterprise companies. Daryl knows how to have a successful career, and today he's going to share his experience with us. Daryl, really happy to have you on today and uh, loving this subject. Sky, baby. Thanks for having me here, sir. So I guess normally we start out talking uh, with, with our guests about them. I think a lot of this whole topic is going to be about you, your career, and, and how that applies to other people's careers, kind of your, your experience would apply. But uh, let's start off there anyway. Can you tell us uh, just a brief history of, of how you got where you're at, CMO there at, at VanillaSoft, and um, maybe what, where you started out uh, on, on your path? Sure, not a problem. I mean, I'm probably the classic marketer that I'm actually not trained in marketing. Uh, did not go to school for that. Uh, I think most marketers I, I meet, they might've gone to school for, <clears throat> you know, maybe communications or something that related or business. No, we, we, many of us, we seem to fall into it. That's one of the reasons I love marketing. I'm no different. I went to school as a computer programmer and uh, that's what I did the first four odd years of my life. I was sitting behind the keyboard, staring at code all day long and, you know, hitting those keystrokes and cranking out kick ass pieces of manufacturing and accounting software. This guy, it never got more exciting than that. Let me tell you that. Um, <laughs> And then as, as, you know, as my career went along, as much as I enjoyed coding once upon a time, you know, you, you, you mature with age and you start to get a little more self-aware. And I started to get a little more self-aware and, and I'm a lot less interested in, interested in being behind a screen all day. And uh, so I started looking around and I really did not know where I wanted to go. I just knew I needed to do something else. And ultimately what I ended up doing <clears throat> was taking a job as a sales engineer for some technology that I knew. So I knew the technology well, I was coding in it. So I actually went to work for the company and, and I was involved in enterprise kind of sales because I had the, the knowledge. So you're uh, assisting the salespeople on the technical I'm side. I'm assisting the salespeople on the technical side, custom demos, custom configurations. If I had to whip up some code to show them how to, you know, the system could do what we need to do. And that was my first exposure to sales and or marketing. So sales engineer did that for a few months and the company kind of said, hey, you know, you seem to be kind of good at this and you have a technical background and we're looking at launching a new product that's related and then we need a product manager. So do you want to do that? So I'm like, I, I had no idea what a product manager did. Like, oh, you define the specs for it. Sure. So you get How thrown into it. How many years are we talking about? Is this all over 12 months or are we talking about five years? Of so I had the four years of the coding and then it was, uh, I was probably about uh, three, four months doing sales en engineer and then boom, I'm into the sales, the product management role. So, and you know, you would still dip your toe back in the sales engineering as required, but you're doing product, you know, product uh, management. So after a couple, some, some years in the, the coding, this next stage progressed pretty quickly. This little area here progressed quickly and then it slows down again. I just want so, to make sure that the listeners understand that frequently you hear stories and you think about them in like the, the TV show 24. They just are going to compress it all into like, okay, and then by noon, CMO. That's right. Um, it's not quite And I was works. done. <laughs> and by five, I was rich and I was sitting on a beach. They noticed my genius in the morning and by the afternoon. Exactly. I'd gone through five jobs and, and was the uh, leader of the free world. I was a... <laughs> 
I was a rock star and beloved by all. Um, So then I did this thing, the product management thing for, again, another three or four months. And it was the tail end of the product being developed. So that that was why it was only three or four months. Um, And then they said, we need to launch it. And you know, you've been a sales engineer, you've been a product manager. Do you want to do product marketing now? Just it's you're just gonna continue with the product. And I'm like, sure. Now, do you think they saw something and they said, This guy's the best guy, or were they being lazy and you were just around and done with your previous job? I think it was a combination. I think <laughs> it was they were being lazy and I was convenient, but I wasn't a total moron or idiot, and I did have the technical background. So you've proven yourself in the first steps, kind of. By doing yeah. your job, doing it well, they recognize that they needed somebody and, 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 and recognize and, you for that spot. And what's important to note here is I changed these jobs. My, my salary did not change. So it wasn't like I'm going through promotions. What I'm going through here are changing roles. Right. And so, and that's actually a good thing. I encourage anybody, whether you're on my team or you're coming, you're seeking my input, you know, don't be afraid to try different jobs because you never know what you're going to like. You know, again, I go back, you know, the year before when I was sitting behind that keyboard, I, I never would have envisioned myself a year later being a product marketer. I, I wouldn't have known what a product marketer did. Right. All right. So it was just opportunity. And the whole time I'm there, of course, I'm watching my colleagues and I'm offering my input when, when, it's, when it's sought out or maybe I'm being proactive about it you know, as part of that collaborative effort. I'm not holed up in my own little hole trying to just do my own little thing and, and watch the clock from nine to five. I've never once watched clock. My wife hates that about me, but you know, it's what you do. I, I always tell people I have this list on my wall and I'll give it out to employees. Um, and it's just the uh, steps or tips, or it just has leadership at the top. I haven't really properly named it. And one of the things that's somewhere in there, I think at one point they were rules, um, is about the clock watching. Is when you when you look at the clock, it shouldn't be like, oh, it's only ten in the morning. Yeah. It should be, oh no, it's already ten in the morning, and I have so much more to get done. Um, I always notice leaders, you know, their favorite day of the week is Monday and not Friday because they have the whole week in front of them. And one thing that I always tell people when they're so eager to get to Friday is why are you so eager to get to the grave? Like, why do you want it to just all be over? This is, this is your day. This is your day to get stuff done. You know, your career, you want to move forward in your career. You're not going to move forward by getting to the end of the week. It's not a, it's not a race where you win when you get there. Like you're just rushing to the grave instead of to get stuff done and you need it to be earlier in the day, not later. Um, there, you- there's truth to that. In, uh, years ago, I, I went through this exercise and uh, I was asked to write down um, my obituary. And it was an interesting exercise. So I write my obituary and nowhere in my obituary did I say, I worked super long hours and I was the rock star at my job. In fact, my job never came up. The closest I got that was job related was that I was respected and, and amongst other attributes as I was reflecting upon my life. And, um, so yeah, there's no rush to the grave, but in the same breath, I've always been able to find situations that I like, and we can talk a bit about that. Um, if you don't like it, what should you do? But if you like your job or you're learning in your job, then, um, then that's good, right? And get up and you go and you go and do it and chase your day and you go explore. I've always, I was having this conversation literally with my uh, 
my recently acquired son-in-law. I mean, they just got married very little bit ago. And we're talking about that. And I said, if I could give my 20-year-old self some sales on some career advice, it would be in any job you're in, whether you're digging ditches or, or you're the leader of the free world, you know, look for elements of the job or the, or the environment, the company that intrigue you. Look for things that you go, what's that all about? And be curious and pursue that. And I said, because you never know where your career is going to end up. Most people I know are not today in a career that they went to school for, most people. So don't run away from the curiosity. Seek it out because otherwise it's going to be a really freaking long career for you where you will be doing exactly what you said, which is watching the clock. Right. You're, so you are not the... Uh a super successful uh, programmer right now, because at some point in your career, you pivoted. You said, I'm interested in this now. Let me go see what's over here. And that's, yeah, very few people probably start out in one uh, specific role and become extremely successful in that role down the road. Um, you know, even in, in something like sports, people, they may, they may be the quarterback of their high school team, but then they're a wide receiver when they get into college and then they're, people change roles frequently. So I guess you're saying be open to changing roles. Be open to changing roles. Whatever interests you kind of. But the the other part, it's it's a bit of a mindset, right? So you're right. I'm not the super secret coder that I was once upon a time. But at that moment in time when I was saying, you know, do I I leave my, my, my trade, my craft that I went to school for and try these other areas? I gave myself permission. And that's important. I actually gave myself permission. And, and then I rationalized it in what I think is a wholly logical way to say, well, that skill set's not going to go away. It might get rusty, but it's right. not going to go away. So if, if this pivot doesn't work out, I'll just pivot back. So let's go over here and see what's going on. it isn't like you on. went away completely from it. You, you went into the technical sales role where you're still using all your experience from that. That's right. And then when I got into the technical marketing role eventually, it was the exact same thing. Yep. Instead of me coding it, I'm telling, this is the irony, I'm telling other coders about our cool technology. So I was able to identify with the buyer because just a few months ago, I was that target audience. Right. right? I, I guess people kind of, they learn something and they think, I invested in this, so I need to just keep keep doing this instead of learning something new, that same mentality, if you keep taking it backward, you'd say, oh, but I just learned, you know, I learned long division now. Do I really want to go learn a whole new set of skills? Um, when, when you're a child, you don't just become an expert at long division. You keep, you keep building onto it and building. it has some relevance in, in your future. But just because you invested some time learning to do something doesn't mean you have to hunker down and turn that into, into everything you are. You nailed it. You, you, you nailed it. And that's why I say, give yourself permission. You're not abandoning anything. You're, you're simply giving yourself permission to try something else to see if it's something you like, if you're good at it. But to your point, you know, where you are at your point in life and where you will be next year and the year after that is the sum of all your experiences now and then. And so anything you've done now, like in my case of I left coding, well, I couldn't have been the marketer I was in a technical field if I didn't have that background. So did I really leave it or did I, to your point, I just build upon it and I applied it in a different way. And that's what I like to think I did. And I'm a big believer in that. I always tell my kids, um, I said, listen, you go to school to get your first job. That's it. 
after that, what you do with it, you know, you'll figure it out. Life's a bit of an adventure, but it's just to get your first job. It's to show them that, yes, you can hunker down. Yes, you can study. Yes, you can learn those some skills. And, and you have a piece of paper that says, I can do it. After that, you know, don't put limitations on yourself. So college is an entry-level job interview. <laughs> it is an extended <laughs> job interview. You nailed it. Nice, you nailed nice. it. So I, let's move on through uh, through your career now. So what where did we get up to? You yeah. So I was I was product marketing. So now this is kind of my first marketing role, and and so this is where it gets interesting. We launched the product. It went well. Everybody's happy. You know, I I'm not a rock star. I was just I did a good job. And then life does these things. Uh, at that moment in time, uh, when I went to become a sales engineer, what I left out was that I actually changed countries. I took a job in a different country. I'm Canadian, so I took a job in the U.S. And then my wife and I were uh, in, in the journey. Uh, she got pregnant. I was pretty sure I knew who the father was. And, uh, and, and then the baby was going to be delivered soon. And so we had a choice on the horizon that said, are we going to choose to have our child in the U.S. or in Canada? And for us, because we were in the U.S. alone, or we can go back to Canada where we have friends and support, we decided to move back. And this is where my career got interesting because now I've moved back. So you chose not to have an anchor baby. I chose not to have an anchor <laughs> baby. That's right. That's right. Because I knew NAFTA was coming. There we yeah. go. Um, so... The whole thing there, though, was what do I do when I go back to Canada? Do I go to coding, sales engineer, product management, product marketing, marketing? And in the end, I managed to get a job in marketing. And that's different from product marketing. So you went back and then started job hunting. I started job hunting. And I got a job at a small database company. So it was a technology company. Remember, I'm a coder. My expertise was in database. So I got a job at a small database company. They actually developed a database. It was a spinoff from the University of Waterloo. If you don't know, the University of Waterloo is at the MIT of Canada. And, and, uh, and they wanted somebody who knew marketing, but who was technical. Well, ding, 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 that was me. Right. And that was truly the start of my true marketing career. I view my American adventure when I was working there and the first time I was in the U.S. was a bridge. It was a bridge from coding to marketing and I did it vis-a-vis sales engineer, product management, product marketing, marketing. So it so was- you've gone there. through this whole process. You understand the whole process all the way from the coding of the product, product up to now selling the product. You have all the, techs, uh, the, the uh, technical expertise to, to do this stuff and now you're in the, the, the full-on marketing role of trying to- convey the product to the target audience you're, yes. you're now writing the stories instead of the code kind of to uh you got it to, to sell this stuff you've done everything but the selling part but i guess you've been a technical you know in the right. sales room providing technical support there even and later on in my career i get into the sales side but you're right that was i had made that bridge and but but here's the thing people need to understand right because some of you may be listening say well you got lucky daryl I, I don't have that luck or i know that's a rare situation okay i'm in the marketing seat understand this i have no classical training other than that brief experience i had for about a year when i was working in the states right so i don't know best in class advertising or communications or copywriting or graphic design or website or anything else i know none of that 
at this moment in time. But you knew and, what you needed for each step. I mean, you don't get lucky to make a campaign succeed. And everybody listening should know that when, when, when you launch a product and it works, you said, it, you know, you weren't a rock star, but it, it worked. It worked. Yes. That's no small thing to launch a successful product. That is, uh, you know, a, a rock star pull off. How many times do those kind of things blow up in people's faces? So you knew enough at each step to make what you were doing successful. So you know that what is not luck. You know what I knew, Sky? I this is and I'm just being really transparent here. I knew what I knew and I knew what I didn't know. And I was honest enough with myself and secure enough with myself to say, I don't know that shit. Right. So let me look around. Let me look at other vendors, competitors, or other vendors I admire who are perhaps in a tangentially related space and look at what are they doing. Let me literally pick up the phone. Right? This is pre-LinkedIn, folks. Let me pick up the phone and call people. Imagine that, calling somebody and saying, you know, can we do coffee? Can I talk? Can I pick your brain? And, and I did that because I was desperately seeking inputs. And that's all they were. I'm not looking to rip off people. Uh, elements of other campaigns. Well, that absolutely, is marketing. I, mean, I steal other people's stuff. It is. Don't start from scratch. <laughs> it's like I tell people here, I never steal. I just leverage. Um, so, but you know, that's the whole point is, is I went seeking answers, seeking guidance. But in the end, to your point, it was still upon me. But here was the challenge. Here was the challenge. And this is, many of you will be facing this right now. So I'm in this job. Now I'm in marketing. I'm all in. New father for the first time. Uh, the wife is staying at home, taking care of the baby. So I'm the sole breadwinner and I'm feeling the pressure. I'm a little uncomfortable. And my boss, who was a wonderful man when he hired me, just basically just, <laughs> just, and he was still always a wonderful man. I should rephrase that. But here's the, there's a catch here, which is he just disappeared. He hmm. never gave me a morning. Here's your desk. Here's your computer. See ya. And I, I might see him once a week for, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks gone right and that was it and after so three he was delegating he went and had coffee with a guy and found somebody to do this marketing and now he's doing other stuff though he was full-on delegating and the one time i had input from him we had done this wonderful advertisement and again this is back in the days um when we actually used to print you know advertisements in in print media Wait a second. used to print and yet this morning i just got this. there we are i know <laughs> a print ad from you guys for an upcoming show on a you show guide the, the whole yes. back page on there so printing is i think it's making a comeback printing's making it's got its pl yeah. place and i remember showing him this you know in those days we had uh, advertising agencies and they would mock up different you know ads and he would pick it from various you know boards and they're like a and b whatever and i showed it to him and he said uh uh, I'll get back to you. So he comes back the next day and he goes, okay, so I showed your ad to my wife and she really thinks you need to go with purple instead of blue here. She why is that? She likes purple. I am, I am, I am not making this up. But was he right? Was she right? <laughs> no, no, she wasn't. She had no freaking clue. So then I was at a crisis and this was, this was the pivotal moment in my marketing career, if I can give anybody advice, this for me was it. I go, what do I do? I'm going to get my ass fired and not be able to provide for my family because I've got no direction. And they're not going to, they're going to blame me, not my boss. He's way senior. So then I said to myself, well, I can either quit and be on my terms or 
I can do proactively what I think needs to be done, stop seeking input from others, stop seeking counsel, stop looking for permission, just trust that I know what the hell it is I'm doing and just freaking do it and stop asking for input, just do it. So the one time he's there giving input, it's something terrible. <laughs> it was terrible, right? So, for, yeah. so from that point on, I said, screw it. If I'm gonna go out, I'm going, I'm going down on my terms. Right. And, and then boom, off so I went. did you argue with him there and say, no, that's wrong? Or do you just do what needs to be done and see where things fall? No, what I said was, thank you for that input. All right, I'll take it uh, into consideration. I'll take it into consideration. <laughs> and then he said, okay, thanks. And he walked away because he felt like he'd done his job. And right. I ignored his advice and I did what we did. And you can later you can hey why wasn't that purple my wife was offended exactly. and you that was fine. say you can yeah. say well I I took it into consideration and, and decided that wasn't the right way to go right I saw um, the input from the designers and the publishers and while her input was valid we felt this was a more strategic way one trick I've seen used successfully I love that approach another thing that fits in some situations for that kind of a situation is to pretend what the other person is saying is a joke and treat it as if you think it's hilarious. Uh, so when they say, my wife says you should make this purple because she likes purple. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> your wife says, good one. Yeah. <laughs> You're hilarious. You're yeah. hilarious. Well and then done. see if they get, rather than be embarrassed they start chuckling offended, or they look at you they like, go yeah. along with you exactly. and say like, yeah, that was a good one, huh? Anyway, moving on. Um, they yeah. might just let it pass out of embarrassment, realizing, ooh, they either have to butt heads with the marketing person who thinks this has to be a joke because it's ludicrous yeah. um, or they can let it go and, and pretend like they meant it to be a joke the whole time. But one of the things you're talking about that's really important there is, is, is being self-aware enough to know when to pick and choose how you engage with in, in what style and with whom, right? So, you know, one thing, if it's my boss, I'm going to be much more engaged and say, oh, I'll take that purple under advisement. Whereas if it's, you know, a colleague, even though they could be a well-revered colleague, there's still an equal on the org chart. I love your approach there. That's great. Purple. Right, I'll get back to you on that one, Junior. It's and if great. it's an intern, you might say, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Do not, yeah. do not give me your input until you've been here six months. Exactly. <laughs> Shut up, please. Or I'll say You're something wasting like, my time. Exactly. So have you considered changing programs at all? Because this one's yeah. not working out for you. Yeah. Maybe you should send your wife to work here. Exactly. She has input. Why do we need you? Let's we get her here. Your opinion. Yep. They both seem to be bad. Um, <laughs> but okay. But that uh, was the pivotal moment was when I took responsibility and I took ownership. Right. You realize this is mine and I'm in charge. That's right. Mm. And I didn't, and I see too many people trying to give that back to me as a, as a boss. And I keep on trying to try to say, take it. It's yours. You know, right, and I'll let right. you know if you're doing something wrong, you know, or, or worse, I'll say, and this is how I like to manage my, and I, this is how I wish people would have managed me. And this is how I've always asked my bosses to manage me as well. And this is how I like to manage my employees. You know, my employees would tell you if I'm good at this or not. But I like to manage on outcomes. What do you want? So in other words, the advertisement should be irrelevant. Do you want, you know, 100 leads because of this advertisement? That's the outcome we're going to measure it by as, as success? Okay, leave it with me. Right. So don't get involved in the details when you're delegating stuff. Correct. Um, that's, that's not really full on delegating. So we're talking about, about delegation here now, I guess, and that's a huge part of leadership. When you first started out and you're coding, you don't do a ton of delegation there, I don't think. Nope. Um, you're, you're writing the code. Uh, 
And then as you move through your career, as you move up in your career, there's a lot more. I mean, eventually your whole job basically becomes, uh, becomes delegation. You're getting your hands in things very little. I had this, this thought about that the other day. You know, sometimes it's difficult not to get your hands into all the details. And I realized in many cases, even when you know you can step in and get something done better, it's better to let the person you're trusting to do it, do it not as well. Because over time, you want them to grow into a fully functioning person. And if you don't allow them to do what you found, if you don't give them the space to own it themselves, they never will. And you'll always have this person that just resents you constantly stepping in and, and running the details. That is some serious, serious, you know, A-team advice that Scott's giving you right there. I have a story of my first time I was a VP of marketing. And the first time you're a VP of marketing, like any other time, you, you kind of rise in the ranks you're figuring out the role and um and uh, the story's really relevant because what would happen is my team would do their thing and then i would come back and i would review it and edit it and then i would find issues with it and i'd have them refine it and uh, finally um one day i had two of my team members come in close my door in my office and said Gerald, we need to talk and i'm like what's that and they said um you know we love you and you're great at your job but everything you do that we do for you, you know, that you, you then go mark up. And by admission, we acknowledge you're making it better. But it's killing us, right? Because right. now we're almost afraid of it because we know you're, we know you're just going to find the mistakes. We know you're going to change it anyway. It's almost like you're coddling them too. You're making them better today, but they're not allowed to. You're it's doing true. A push-ups for them kind of. Yeah. And so what I realized, I was shocked to get the feedback and I was oblivious. And I realized a couple of things. One, I was now a VP. My job was not to do when I was younger in my career and lower on the pole, my job was to do. My, now my job is to lead and let others do. And I wasn't doing it. Exactly your point. I was, I, was, I was somewhat coddling them. And two, they'll never learn if I don't let them make those mistakes. I don't let them, I don't trust them. So, which means my organization will never scale because I will become the bottleneck. Right. And then the last thing out of that was I had to get out of my own head and realize and this is the biggest one of the another big lesson I learned in my career, a big epiphany was um, great is the enemy of good. So when I were to go make those changes, I made it great. But did that, did that mean that that got me a 50 percent lift in results or a 25 lift percent in results? No, it might have got me a one or two percent lift in results max. But because I got involved and I had more review cycles, what should have taken, you know, one day ended up taking three days. So if it's good enough, get it out the door and move on to the next thing. So we can do a couple things like super well and the rest just falls to the wayside. Or we can do a whole bunch of things, all different tactics. Good. Do them good. And that and adds up kick over ass. time. It adds up over time, right? Your reach, your penetration, everything adds up over time. So even in that advertisement you're just showing me in, on the show guide, I hate that advertisement. I hate it. And yet I voluntarily put it back on there. I've used that in another show guide. I used it again in this one because you know what? Just because I hated it, I heard positive compliments from the people in the last time I used it. It does the job. It conveyed the message. It was good enough. And it saved me time not redesigning it. And it also saved me money. Get it out the door. It's done. Move on. Yeah. And yeah, you could make it great, but to what impact? If it, exactly. right now it's an 85, you're going to, how much time and energy are you going to spend getting it up to a, a 95? And the and, thing and is, what's what, the worth of that? 
And then you just piss off your people. Um, You say great is the enemy of good. I have something on that list. Maybe I'll share it with this episode on the show notes um, where we say, uh, if someone can get the task done 80% as well as you, delegate it. Um, And then another area, 85% uh, perfect is perfect. Yeah. Like there's no, there's, Those are brilliant. there's a diminishing returns at one point, at some point, some yep. things are, are binary. They're either right or wrong, but most things, once you get to a certain level, you're done, move on. There's so many other things to do, you know, stop beating that horse. It's you've gone as far as, as you need to go. Um, so if you're I, listening to this right now, to your point, if you're listening to this and you're sitting in your chair going, yeah, but <laughs> all right, two things, one, no, all right, get out. You are in your own way. And two, you have control issues. All right. So what's your goal? Is your goal that you need control or is your goal to achieve the mandate set up for you by your management team? Right. If I would say try to switch that. Yeah. But which is when I fight with my uh, four-year-old daughter, she's always saying about everything. I just say that ah, not a word. I don't want you to hear it. I don't want to hear a Yeah. But it's, that's a child's response. To, if you're going to respond to it, say yes and, um, not you know, not not yeah, but yeah, but you're you're instigating an argument. Just take the advice and, and move on, especially when it's coming from somebody like uh, Daryl Prell of, of VanillaSoft trying to help you, um, you know, advance in your in your career. One thing you mentioned a minute ago, you're you're talking about advancing in the career, right? And you're talking about how you you weren't trained in all these areas. You weren't trained in being an executive and you kind of had to learn this stuff. What advice can you give people on how to learn how to be an executive in a company? Like, are there courses they should be taking? What should they be doing? Assuming it's not just going to come naturally. So that's a really, really good question. Everybody's going to be different. Um, a couple of things you need to understand. So one is go find other people of, of a mix of ages, right? So if you're, I use the example of when I, first became a VP. So go talk to other first time VPs, but maybe they've been doing it for a year as opposed to me, I was brand spanking new. Uh, and then go talk to somebody who's done, done it for 10 years and say, you know, what have you learned looking back? You know, what mistakes did you make? Um, do that. And, and, and here's the thing you need to understand. You're, it's not a sign of weakness or a lack of capability when you do this. Many of you will stand in your own way because you have your ego. It's actually the opposite. When you have the confidence to go and ask others, what can you teach me? It shows you that you're a natural leader and you're trying to get to the finish line faster by not making the mistakes that others have made. So that's the first point. The second point is be prepared to stumble and fumble your way for the first three to six months. I stumbled and fumbled because I kept on, this is what I, people are going to do over and over again. I kept on wanting to do my old job. You said months. I was going to hope you said years, but no, okay, no. Months, well, three to six months. Three to six months, <laughs> I stumbled and fumbled. It took me years to get really good at it. Right. But um, I kept on wanting to do my old job. That's not your job, right? And every time you go a little bit higher, you're, you're a little less hands-on and you're a little more strategic. But let me counsel you here. And this is something I take great pride in. We had a conversation about this this week alone. My employees, yes, they laughed at me, but bear with me, which is your staff will, you want your staff to respect you and to follow you. That's part of being a leader, no matter if you're coming from manager to a director or a director to a VP, a VP to a C-level. Um, and 
part of that happens when you can still convey that you can get your hands dirty and get down in the weeds and still go write an email or still go craft up an advert or still go update the website or still go create a PowerPoint and you won't embarrass yourself. Your job is not to suddenly be queen delegator. Okay, so don't, that's interesting. Because I mean, most people it's always delegate, 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 learn to delegate, don't let your ego get in the way. Now you're switching back and saying, but also be able to get in the trenches and show them that you know what you're talking about. Yeah, because there's gonna be deadlines occasionally. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a trade show, shit, we didn't do this or this. Okay, divide and conquer. I'll go do this, you go do that, right? right? Great, go, we're a team, right? At this point in time, titles go out the door, we're a team. We're just working side by side like soldiers on a, on a field. Um, so I'm not telling you to become the, you know, Adobe Premiere or Adobe Photoshop expert. I'm not telling you to become an expert in WordPress or in, you know, SEO with SEM Rush and, you know, HREFs and all those other products out there. You know, I'm not, just to be clear on that, I'm not. But I do know enough to be able to get in there and figure it out again. But when I have to, and yes, it may take my staff five minutes to do something. It takes me 35 minutes to do something, but that's okay. Once in a while, get your hands dirty, lead from the front. Cause if you don't do that, they're going to tune you out. They're going to say you're living in an ivory tower and we don't believe you. Right. They, hmm. so you just, you lose their respect kind of when they don't believe you can do the things or basically you're turning yourself into your old boss's wife, possibly where they're saying your opinion might just kind of be bullshit because we, we don't trust that you know what you're doing, that you know what you're talking about if you don't step in and show them every once in a while. But you don't go looking for it. You don't look for it to physically <laughs> say, look, I can still do it. You, right. you do it. Again, it's that divide and conquer. And even with my staff now, like, you know, they're talking about my boss's old wife in the purple. They may come to me and say, what do you think? And I, and I, and I may say, I think that should be purple. And they'll look at me. And I try to pride myself on this and say, but that's just my opinion. I've empowered you to do this. If you feel the blue that you're using now is the right answer, then let's, 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 let's test it. Hey, why not? Right. Let's do an A-B test. You know, we're in the age, we're in the era of A-B tests. I can A-B test an email, a design, a digital ad, an SEO uh, campaign, a pay-per-click campaign. I can test freaking everything. Now, what if they just say, all right, Thanks, Daryl. I'll take that into consideration. Then I'll, <laughs> nine times out of 10, I'll say, great, and I'll walk away. But here's the thing. If your results don't achieve the outcome that I expected from you, the first couple of times, I'll let it go. And then I'm going to say, I'm going to remind you, okay, you can go blue instead of purple. Right. But remember, you haven't hit it the last few times. You can own it, but then you got to own the results too. And you nailed that's your it. Job. You nailed it. So if you're so convicted on this, we're going to measure it. When I say test, my test isn't, and this is, this is me personally, my test isn't to prove me right. Because you know what? I may have been wrong. And if I learned that I'm wrong and they were right, then I learned something. And all I care about is that the marketing team as a whole delivers results. So if you saved my ass because you were smarter than me and I didn't know better, I still win because my team delivered results. Right? Yep. So. And if I'm right, then you learn something, and next time we're gonna deliver better results. So in that scenario, whether they're right with the blue or I'm right with the purple, it doesn't matter because all that matters is that we as an organization generate 
results. Right, right. Fantastic. Um, want to take a quick break. I got a bunch more questions for you after the break here. We'll have to do some sort of a uh, career quick fire for you or something like that. Um, but uh, everybody listening, thank you for listening to the Ify Market Podcast. We have uh, Daryl Prale of VanillaSoft, CMO of VanillaSoft, on the show with us today. We're talking about your career and how to be successful owning your career. We will be right back. While most artificial intelligence companies are focused on replacing humans with algorithms, at Unanimous AI, we've taken a very different approach. We use AI to connect groups of people together amplifying their combined intelligence using algorithms modeled after swarms in nature. The award-winning technology is called Swarm AI, and it can be used to amplify the accuracy of insights generated from human groups, providing significantly more accurate market forecasts, sales forecasts, financial predictions, even medical diagnosis. Swarm AI has been validated by dozens of academic papers, including uh, recent papers from major researchers at Stanford, Oxford, MIT, Anyone interested in using Swarm AI technology to generate amplified market insights can learn more at unanimous.ai. Welcome back to the If You Market Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. We have Daryl Prale on with us today talking about uh, owning your career. He is the CMO of VanillaSoft, and uh, basically we're talking about how you can be the CMO of VanillaSoft as well. Um, maybe not quite VanillaSoft, that position's full. But uh, Darren, <laughs> last time, let's see, we were getting through your career. We got to just the point where you were, had become a full-on marketing person, right? You were, you were actually doing the storytelling part of marketing, I guess you'd say. Where do things go from there? How do you get from that point to, to where you're at today? All right. So this is where it gets interesting. And this approach may not work for everybody. So I'm, in my particular case, I was the marketing manager at Wacom. Uh, after about a, a year or so there, a year, year, year or two there, um, it all blurs now, Sky. Um, we got acquired by a company called PowerSoft. PowerSoft was a, a 4GL developer for user interface. And then about four months later, PowerSoft got acquired by a company called Sybase. Sybase at the time, was the sixth largest software company in the world. And their whole, uh, their anchor revenue stream was database. Um, I think they're part of uh, SAP now, right? They are now part of SAP. So now we're and talking big companies. We're talking big with. companies here. And and I got promoted every time. So when Sybase acquired us, Sybase acquired, one of the reasons they really wanted PowerSoft was because they wanted Wacom. Wacom was the database piece of the, that PowerSoft acquired that I was the marketing manager for. And, and they were starting to get their asses handed to them by Oracle and Microsoft, their new database product. So they wanted to leverage our expertise. So I went from managing this small little product and I was a one-man show to now I at the sixth largest software company in the world and I am the global marketing manager for their anchor product. And, and I'm, I'm exposed to Silicon Valley. They were out of Emeryville. I was there all the time. I was on corporate task force to redesign their, their tech stack. Super and exciting or scary? I mean, did you get the best? Yes. I felt like a fraud at times, right? And I felt like I was trying to keep my head above water and be credible. Mm -hmm. But in the same breath, I got exposed to a lot of really kick-ass cool people. And I realized we were all kind of in the same boat. So when I was weak, I could go to these other people and say, well, you know, what would you do? What's your input? So you said, um, wait, wait, you feel like a fraud? I feel like a fraud. Oh my yes, God. Yes, there was a lot of that, right? <laughs> this 
Imposter syndrome is real, folks. It's not yeah. just you. Um, and that was huge. Now, and I had much success there, and I and I loved my time with Sybase. Nothing but amazing things to say. And I finally got exposed to a big company. And suddenly, I, I had resources like you would not believe. I had budget, crazy-ass budget. I had whole in-house creative teams as opposed to me getting that independent graphic designer before because that's all I could afford. Now I've got like rank and file of teams making me stuff whenever I wanted to kick Now you can really delegate. I can really delegate. And I had power. <laughs> and um, and I got more busy on the trade show circuit and everything else. So it that was when my head exploded from information overload on just what the possibilities were when you had more resources available to you. Also, how the politics get a lot more pronounced in a bigger company. And I was new to that. Uh, you know, when you're a smaller company, the politics are kind of like, hey, I think you're an idiot. Well, I think you're an idiot. Oh, fine. Let's go have coffee and talk about it. You know, and you can work it out. But when it's bigger and there's divisions and it's multinational, you know, I remember being at Sybase and every Wednesday night, I would have to stay till like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, Eastern time, because I was running the Japanese division of Sybase and I had to meet with my team on video conference. And in those days, video conference was huge, right? Um, it was a big deal, not like today. And, uh, and that's what you did. Like I was managing multinational teams. So it rocked my world a little bit, but it was fantastic exposure. And I just strive to keep my head above water and, and deliver what we're supposed to do. And that was it. Uh, I did not have the cachet though, because I was still, even though I was a marketing manager reporting to a VP, the, again, the same VP that hired me because he went, went up the ranks with me and we already had established that relationship of leave me alone and I'll do my job. And he was happy with that. Um, it was like I had the kingdom to me, but on paper, I was still a manager. So but when it comes to office politics, I, I yep. want to touch on that one. How much do people need to play in that? Is it a dirty word? Is it something that's, that's natural? Like if you want to progress in your career, how much do you need to get involved in office, office politics? How much should well, you take to that? So the answer is either you're all in or you're all out. And, this, and that's really in between, right? So if you're all in, you're an individual who loves playing head games and it's Machiavellian and you could be on HBO and you know game of thrones and all that wonderful stuff and like you're playing the pieces on the board and and, and if that's if you're gonna do politics I'm, I'm not i'm not and i'm not advocating this but the only way it wins is if you're all in or not in at all if you're kind of partially in you're gonna get steamrolled so when, i guess what i'm saying is i, I don't want to encourage people to to look to rise up through the ranks through office politics by any means um but if you're trying to rise up how much does the person who wants to do a good job be great at their job um, need to get involved in the office politics because I could imagine that not, not involving yourself in the office politics at all, you could get steamrolled because someone else is looking for that same job you are and you are focusing on being great at it, but they're focusing basically on marketing themselves. You know, you're, you're in marketing and you're saying, I'm not going to market myself. I'm just going to make a great product and assume that'll add out. And it doesn't work that way. You have to market yourself as well if you want that promotion. And I think that kind of is office politics. So how much do people need to, you know, is that just a quarterly review? Make it, make yourself heard there. Um, how, how much should people really be looking at that stuff? So if you want to avoid the politics and I can, I can, I, I'll give you actually politics in the end was part of the reason I left the company. And I'll, I'll give you a wonderful story uh, in a second. Um, 
what I've learned when it comes to politics is simply to communicate, 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 communicate up, communicate down, communicate sideways. Don't play bullshit games. If, if, if someone you think doesn't like you, take them for a coffee and, and just be big boys. Put your big boy pants on and say, Sky, I don't mean to be rude, but I just feel like, you know, there's something between us. Have I done something to offend you? You know, I'm sorry. Can we talk about this? Uh, you have to take amazing. them to coffee because now what if they say now you got to sit there and drink your coffee? It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, <laughs> but it's a short term uncomfort versus a sustained ongoing uncomfort. And there's many of you listening right now going, wait a minute, I have to deal with conflict. I don't like conflict. I got news for you, kids. If you want to progress in your career, you have to deal with conflict. Not you, just deal with it, but I guess you have to invite it to coffee and stare in the eye and say, here's the problem. Yes. What's up? You nailed it. Yeah. And, and, and it's not going to go away. Like you talk about your four-year-old daughter. Uh, I had a four-year-old daughter once upon a time too. And you know what? There's conflict as they get older and older and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it gets more dramatic and more emotional. Um, so there's conflict in our life everywhere, right? So you, again, you can either run from it or you can just say, hey, I would rather nip this in the bud while I can. So that was, that was my, that would be my advice to you. Um, but in the end, I want to be, so I'm going to shoot straight. Politics happen and sometimes you lose. So in the case of my tenure at Sybase, I was up for a director position and it was me and one other player. And this other player had been at the, with Watcom before I got there. And he went to the same university as my boss. This guy, nice guy. Didn't do jack shit. Didn't have an original idea in his, in his, in his mind, but he was a yes man. But he wasn't a sycophant. He was a nice guy. He just was, he was just, he was white bread. That's what he was, the best way to put it. In the end, he got the job, not me. And, and then my calling boss. Him out though. You're saying he's a basic bitch and he got the job. He got the, the job. <laughs> and then make it even worse, my boss who gave him the job took me aside. And I'm not making this up because this is the same boss who said his wife likes purple. Said, I know you deserve the job more. I know you earned it. I know you got accomplished more. But he's been with us longer. No, he's in the same circle of friends, and that's why he got the job. And so yeah. politics, politics happen. And what I chose to do at that point in time, I said, okay, I, I now know the lay of the land. I think my run is done here. And that's cool. So you I know, know you like this guy, but that is kind of weak leadership to tell somebody. Yes. I mean, he could have at least lied to you and just said, there's skills he has you just don't know about that are amazing or something. Yes. <laughs> or something. Because to tell you he's been here longer, that sounds yes. like a BS reason. It is a BS reason. It's better not to take you aside. He's basically telling you, I'm making some bad decisions now. Well, I'm in fact, what he was doing on... was trying to make himself feel better, not me. Mm. He yeah. had the guilt. Uh, Right? Yeah, I need to I need to explain that he didn't really prep for it, it sounds like though. No, he didn't. <laughs> he needed to say to the mirror and realize what that sounds like. He's been here longer. Means yeah. you need to start looking for another job because we're promoting based on the wrong decisions here. You got it. So and he knew that, and that's fine. And you know, I could have stayed there and I would have been miserable and PO'd, or I could say it's time for me to you know, that's fine. I get it. I get it, I get it, I get it. Time for me to move on. And so, you know, I'd been in that company almost three years for that point in time. So here's what I did. This is the, I do not advocate people do what I did, but I'm being forthright because we're a bunch of marketers here. 
I was still a manager, but I had a kick-ass brand behind me as Sybase. And I went looking for opportunities. I had a recruiter call me, and it was a recruiter with a company called Cognos. Cognos is, was at the time was a top player in the business intelligence space. They were a five-hour drive away, and they were looking to replace their VP. I had packaged myself up as on my resume, classic marketing move, as a director. Even so though were, I was still you were marking the shit out of yourself. Yeah. I was marketing myself. So I was a manager, but my resume said I was a director. And they want to backfill a VP. And we did the dance. And here's the thing, guys and gals, when I was in the interview and they're asking me all these director level questions, I knew that I knew the right people in Sybase who had these roles and responsibilities. So when they're asking me the questions, I was answering at, I was, I was channeling those people and their organizational structure and their roles and responsibilities and their strategies. And my wife was not happy with me. And she said, how can you do this? And I said, here's the trick. I am not putting myself in a position to fail. I am applying for a job that I know I'm qualified and skilled to do. And I know what I don't know, I will figure out freaking damn fast because I'm motivated. So I got the job and we moved the family. And a funny thing happened in the first six months was the VP that they were backfilling didn't like where he landed and he came back. Interesting. And so we had a discussion with my boss who had just moved me and spent $20,000 to relocate me and the whole family. And I had a two year con contract commitment for as part of that relocation fee. And we were big boys. This again, communication politics, right? And we said, listen, I know when you brought me here, it wasn't malicious to make me to have the guy come back and take his job. And listen, I know this guy was a huge success before I got here and he was respected. So it makes sense you give him his old job back. And you can't have two of us doing the same job. So here's what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting you give me time to find another job and, uh, and then I don't reimburse you $20,000. And he was total class. He goes, we are guilty as charged. I'm so glad that you understand. I'm glad there's no harm feelings here. Let's do that. So you turn it into like you were leasing a space. <laughs> like you keep paying me until I find another job, but as soon as I do, then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wipe yeah. this out. And it's a win-win. You know, no one planned this to happen. Here we are. And that's when I got my first VP job was so now I'm because now I am a director. I was hired as a director. It was a lateral move to become a VP, even though a few months ago I was just a manager. And now I got my first VP job at a small startup. It was a restart. They were a million dollars in debt. So they were not the world's best choice of company, but it was a hot space. They couldn't afford to have a Cadillac VP. So but they took a chance. as a million dollar company. They're a million dollar company. You just don't tell people it's red. That's right. Well, that's <laughs> the beauty of marketing, right? I knew what I was getting. I was getting a VP title. They, I knew what they were getting. They were getting a, an, an affordable but young individual who was hungry. Right, right. Knew so the, we, they knew you'd already been vetted by this other company. Correct. Um, I had Cognos on my resume and I had Sybase on my resume. Mm -hmm. And so, boom, 29 years old. I'm a vice president of marketing. That's how I got my first VP job. So I marketed the shit out of myself. I slightly misrepresented my capabilities, but not beyond what I was comfortable in representing. Um, and I leveraged the brands I had and I worked my ass off. Even for that VP job, I 
I literally pulled in a lot of favors from people who were in Gartner and Forrester and others. I got all this research, which I didn't have to pay for, which I should have. And I read for two solid days and I studied the competition. So when I went in that interview, I knew more about them and their competition and the challenges and the trends and the opportunity than they did. Yeah. So I'd say when you're going for that next level job, know this, like do your research and know the space. Absolutely. You cannot be over Take what you learn by going to college and showing you could do the research and actually do it. It's yep. funny. You mentioned how you presented yourself for that job. We, one of the things on our leadership uh, rules here is don't fake it more than 15%. Some you know, people say fake rule. it until you make it. Don't fake yeah. it until you make it. We say, no, no, it's okay, especially in marketing to have a little bit of hyperbole, but you have to have a line where now you're no longer faking it till you make it. Now it's fraud. Like, yes, you can go to that line, but, but don't, you know, fake it a hundred percent and say, no, no, I'm just, you know, fake it till you make it. Woo. High five, bro. It's like, no, no, 15% in most cases, anything more than that. And, uh, and now you're going over the line. Uh, you know, that's that what marketing is. is. You want to uh, overrepresent your product a little bit, but if you do it so much, you're going to hurt yourself. The, and you, you, you so nailed it. You so nailed it. And here's the thing, right? If I was faking it more than 15%, they would have sniffed it out on, on the interview yeah. process, right? You'd be exposed. I'd yeah. be exposed. And, and, and if I somehow got through that and got the job, I would have been fired in the first three months because I've been exposed again. And that is the last thing I want. I didn't want to be a VP who got fired three months later. That's, that's a, a career killer. Or you'd be at a job that you thought you wanted to fake your way into, but the people there couldn't sniff out that you're not competent at that job, which means you're at a job you don't want to, you're in a company you don't want to be at. That's you nailed it. ship that's going down. If you can fake it in there, if you can break into that company, then it's like you don't want to be at that country club that'll have you. You uh, got it. Of a situation. Okay, so we've moved on now. You got your first VP job. A um, couple steps more to Vanilla Soft. Can we, sure. I've got a handful of things I want to go over. Can we quickly jump long, to Vanilla Long Soft? story short, yeah. Then it was just a song and dance. Every couple of years, I was changing jobs uh, because of opportunity. So with that first job, you know, we raised $50 million US. We were the market darlings. We almost got sold three times. And then the dot-com market crashed and blah, you know, the company took a step back. And Suddenly, so, homeless VPs everywhere. Homeless VPs everywhere. I was not homeless. I was still there, but I said, you know, I've, 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 I have invested heart and soul. I've got frequent flyer miles at the zoo. I need a break. So I took a job at the competition and did that for three or four years. And that was in LA. And I started off the team of 24 in the dot-com crash, raised another $15 million, which I shouldn't have been able to do. And by the time that tenure was done three or four years later, I was down to a team of two. Because again, that was what the era was. Yeah. And then from there, uh, I came uh, back from LA, back to Canada again. And I worked for a 911 hardware software company. We had a mandate to sell them in three years. They were the number three player in the space. We did it in, th in nine months. I was a, from there, I went to a, a talent management company. I was the head of sales, sold them in a year. From there, I went to an e-commerce company. I was head of VP of sales and marketing. And we took them public within a year and raised a crap load of money. Now, and question, from, you have all these steps where you're like, then this one and this amazing thing yes. and that one. And some people are going to say, wow, he got lucky. And others are going to say, along that path, one thing I noticed, your career arc is not a hockey stick. It nope. isn't like you started out and you just moved up. There are points in time where you take a step back. Sometimes you overextended yourself and sometimes the market steps everybody back. The market's I've seen huge. people who can't 
take that step back. They think, no, no, no. The next job I have has to be of, you know, I have to be getting paid this much and have this much of a budget and this much of a, and they end up, you know, they're, they're not willing to take the rise and falls of the market to move forward. And it ends up really hampering their career. So I just put that out as a, a caution to people recognize that your career arc is not a steady line up. You will go from managing 50 people in an international budget sometimes to two people. And it's not because you've failed. It's because that's just, that's the progression of what's happening and you keep moving forward. And the fact that you're still employed, even those two people and I have budget says you're doing good, right? But yeah, the market has a huge hit. And the fact, the funny part was talk about, you know, where life kicks you in, in, in the behind sometimes on that, uh, 911 company, when we sold them within nine months, part of the reason they want to acquire us because we had done so much damage to the number one or number two players in that nine month period with, a, with the approach we took. They wanted not just us, they wanted the management team. So they said, mm. 30 days into the new ownership, boom, they fired us all. Interesting. So, for the so first what, they, they wanted your your tricks, and once they got those, they're like, we got what we needed. We got what we needed, um, and we don't want they, you guys. Interesting, interesting. So you're jumping from company to company. They're getting sold. They're getting all these great things are happening. Yep. How much of that is, is you pre-planning? Like how much of your time when you're working there, are you spending saying we need to execute a, B and C and then how much of your time are you networking and, and looking at the next thing? So I guess if do you see okay, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I don't know. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. So I will listen to anybody's pitch if you want to go and try to poach me away or recruit me. And I say that with all sincerity. All right. Mm -hmm. And if, if it's a good pitch, I will go interview, but I will be very candid with you from the get go. I'm happy here. Right. You know, so you're gonna have to wow me with something that blows my socks off because I'm happy here, but I, you want to talk? I'll talk. So you're creating a seller's market. Basically you're saying, Hey, I'm, yeah. it's not like you're under contract where you're not allowed to talk right. about furthering your career. Don't think you're betraying your company. If you talk to someone else about going there. No, exactly. That's, that's part of the career arc. That's part of the career arc. Um, but it's also, don't be stupid about it because you know, if you got a good gig going on, I got news for you. I would say this, every other job I went to was awesome which means every other job was not as advertised. <laughs> All right, let's just go with that. Yep. All right, so that grass ain't always greener on the other side. Yeah, um, yeah. But I will go, and the reason I will go is this. A, I'm learning about more technology. B, I'm learning about their business model. C, I'm establishing a broader network. D, I'm creating demand for me. E, I'm practicing my job interviewing skills because they do get rusty. Mm-hmm. Right. And if I screw up, that's okay. I screwed up because I got a job still. If I screw up, that's okay. And then the biggest thing is F, you don't have to take the job. So you're interviewing from a position of strength rather than a position right, of desperation. Right. You're getting offers a lot where you can, and also you know your value, I guess. If you're constantly having people bid on you, you kind of know where your value is. Yeah. It doesn't cost you, but you know, a meeting to have coffee. And this time it's fun because somebody's trying to, uh, you know, it's, you're in a seller's market, Did I, I guess I'd say. The other thing I would say is I had way more headhunters approach me when I was working for the major brands. When I was working for the small startups, the call volume dropped like a rock. So if you're in your career and you're trying to build yourself up, I would actually strongly encourage you, as much as the startups are sexy and fun and exciting, and you learn a lot because you wear many hats. If you want to position yourself for a long-term career, 
getting some of those major brands is actually really good for your CV and, and your, your own marketability. So you need to collect some logos so you can have these uh, headhunters start approaching you with offers, basically. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And then uh, I guess, fine. and the one thing about the when I did get let go by the 911 company who acquired us, that was another epiphany moment in my life because suddenly I'd always been poached by headhunters and here I was on the street with no cash uh, even though I was, I just kicked ass and sold this company. Um, you sold it right and, off from under yourself. So, yeah, I'm out of a job <laughs> because of my own I- I- capabilities. So what I had to do for the first time ever was I had to have a, a moment of reflection and say, okay, Daryl, if you truly are a marketer, your biggest job is now before you, you have to market yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a lot of fun, actually. You had a lot of success. Uh, and then, and then the last little bit of the career was I, I decided I had enough of working for other people. I wanted to have my own agency. So I did that for a number of years. And then Vanilla Soft came knocking as many others did beforehand. And I'd always told them to go away. In this particular case, the recruiter was simply somebody who had placed me many years before. So we had a personal relationship and I told him to bugger off. And finally he swore at me, he dropped the F-bomb and he said, get your ass in there and interview because I know you and I know them and you guys are like a fit. So I went because he pissed me off and it was my friend. And I trusted him, but he still pissed me off. He was and willing to put himself out there just like you with the color purple. Yes. In the, in the marketing campaign. Not, in the marketing uh, campaign. Yep. <laughs> not Prince. Um, to put himself out there and say, no, I'm serious. You really need to do this. That's we right. Have, we, have, we have a history. And he put his neck on the line, basically. That's right. And, and then Vanilla Soft was just like, it was like he, was, he was spot on. He knew what he was talking about. It was the right culture fit, the right opportunity, another hot category. I like to think Vanilla Soft is is my second job i'm really passionate about my first one was my first job and my, my first vp like as much as sybase and what was fun and everything that first job when i was a vp and we raised all that money and we became we from the ashes we became a, a household name and oh my gosh the trip that was what an amazing journey vanilla soft is that again it's like 20 years later now and I'm getting to live it a second time. You're you have blessed all the experience, to do it once. You, yes. Uh, yeah. You know what you're doing this time around too. And that's the big thing. I know what I'm doing this time around. I built a much better team. I read people better. And I use my tech. I use my budget way more shrewdly. And, uh, and, and, I have, and I'm at a point now that I get to pick and choose the stuff I want to do. So right. that's the reward was, you know, certain things I say, no, no, I'll own that. I'll, I'll do that. You guys do those things over there. And, uh, and that's selfish of me, but it's a perk. So you'd, you'd mentioned every other company. You're jumping from comp- – I don't want to make it sound like that. As you go through your career, you're going one company after another. They're bringing you on board. Some of them are awesome, and some, you know, every other one isn't. And I guess that's you – know, maybe they were faking it 15% or more yep. in, in pitching the company to you as well. So when people are looking at, oh, this company is pitching me, they really need to take into consideration – are they what they say they are? Is this somewhere you really want to be just because they're offering you more money or offering you a bigger title or offering you something like that? You might be better off taking a job at a, a larger, a smaller position at a larger company that's going to give you that next boost. Kind of where are you going to be in 10 years versus right now, what's the offer in front of you? One job with lower pay, a smaller title, less responsibility might actually move you farther down in your career than the people promising a lot that, you know, maybe they're going to go out of business in, in the next two years. And that's not going to be such a great thing on your, on your resume. You, you nailed it. The one thing I would tell my younger self, uh, starting in the marketing career is uh, be, 
respect yourself. All right. What I mean by that is you don't have to settle. There's lots of jobs out there. If your vibes, if your, you know, if your inner voice is, is, is given off warning signs about a possible employer, despite the salary looking good and the position looking good and the company looking good, if it's giving you warning signs, run, don't walk, run away. All right. Listen to your inner voice. Next thing is you don't have to put up with the abuse or a toxic environment. You know, you can try to fix it and they're not listening to you. Run. Don't walk away. Last thing, though, when you find some place that values you and who you are and your family and all your commitments and everything else, milk it for all it's worth. And don't jump at the first opportunity because you're going to kick yourself in the ass and saying, I should have stayed there a little longer. I enjoyed it. It was quality of life. I felt respected. I was growing. I was learning. And I could have learned more if I had stayed a little longer. So right. listen to your inner voice. So it's not just constantly hop to the next higher paying offer kind of a, a, kind of a thing. Um, so you, had, you mentioned having um, a recruiter that yep. came to you for VanillaSoft at one point. At what point in your career did you start having a recruiter or recruiters that, that you had relationships with and were kind of always feeding you opportunities? Uh, when, when I got to Watcom and Watcom was acquired eventually by Sybase. So once I had that brand, uh, then that's when it started happening. Now, I know it changes a little bit now. Like the, the market back then wasn't like it is today. Certain, you know, cities, whether it be San Fran, Boston, Toronto, whatever, where there's just way more opportunity than there is people. You know, there's people fresh out of school who have a certain expertise in writing content or being an SEM or SEO rock star and they're getting poached right away because they're just desperate for people. Um, that wasn't the environment when I was at that age. So it really truly was once I had a, a solid brand and I was at a, uh, a reasonable level because you can think, think about it, right? For the most part, a recruiter is not going to go and be engaged to recruit an entry-level position, mm-hmm. right? They're going right. to be looking. That's not really be, worth their time. And not really worth their time. Not really worth your employers spending that kind of money on their fees. Um, so, and if you are being recruited at, when you're still relatively, you know, a year or two in your career, then that recruiter is doesn't really care about you because what it is, it's an open competition for you. The the employer probably got five or ten recruiters bringing them resumes, and and they're just getting a flat fee. And it's, right, it's, they're it, a resume collector, not they're really a resume a, collector. They don't a, care about you. So if if and when you get a recruiter, you want them to be more of an agent for you than a resume yes. collector. Like don't get yeah. excited the first time a recruiter approaches you on LinkedIn and uh, says, "Hey, we have an opportunity for you." It's they have no idea who you are and some automated system probably sent that opportunity. You nailed it. And then the other advice I would give you is when you do start that job or even in the interviewing process, this is not to really start it. it. Set yourself up for success. This is really telling. This is I've learned this the hard way. I ask all the stakeholders in my potential new employer or, or if I've taken the job already at that point in time, I walk around and I say, what do you, I have one-on-one copies, sit down. What do you expect from marketing? And I shut up and I let them ramble. And it's very revealing what they expect. Some people think you're going to do a press release. That's all your whole job is. Others think you're going to make, you know, pretty website graphics or memes or GIFs. Who the hell knows? And okay, that tells you a lot about what they understand marketing does and their purpose in the company and their role and yada, yada, yada. The other thing I do is I ask every single one of them, for you to deem marketing to be successful, what will have happened in the three months, six months, and 12 months from today? 
and you get them to be very specific. And if they say something like, uh, people know about us, notice how intangible that is. People know mm-hmm. about us. It's, it's well, is that, you know, your mother knows about this company, your sister-in-law, your, your best friend's best friend. Like what? They want a billboard. I just hear they want a they billboard. Want a, yeah, exactly. You have no idea what that means. And it's subjective. You may think it means one, they think another. So always drill down on a specific. Okay, people know about us. As measured how in your point of view. Right. Do you want a, more Facebook followers? Do you want right. a larger newsletter? Do, is sales going up? How do they? So there's, they're basically saying we don't have brand yet and we need, we need you to that's what they're do saying. that thing. And we don't have it because we don't know it. And that's why we're looking to hire you. Please help us. Please help us. Um, and the so beauty of, that of doing process. that though, but the beauty of doing that, what I'm saying is now that you've got their expectations and, and they've told you how they're, how they're going to fundamentally measure you, you can put together your 100-day launch plan and physically make sure you attain at least one or two things from each stakeholder so you can go back to them and say, you asked for it. I yeah. did it. You can right? market the shit out of what they want, not just what you think they right. need. Right. Because what you're doing is you're making champions internally for you. Right. They are the customer at that point, basically. You nailed it. And you need to, your, your bosses at the company are the customer. You still have to market and get customers, most likely. That's probably what they want. But yep. So in that interview process, say you're going in, you're interviewing and entry level, typically uh, you come in, uh, they ask you a bunch of questions, you answer them and they at the end ask you, do you have any questions? And maybe you have a question or two. And then as you progress throughout your career, how much does that change? Are you getting to 50-50 where you're basically interviewing each other? Yeah. Uh, like how many questions should people be asking when they're in the interview, when they're being interviewed for a job? So there's questions you want to ask that are of genuine interest. And there's questions you want to ask because you want them to know that you're a smart cookie. All right. So the questions could be, you know, what are the holidays and do I get access to the company parking lot and the executive bathrooms? Um, you know, those kind of questions, right? What's the work environment like dress code, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's questions like, what's your business model? How does that compare to others? Are you guys profitable? What's your EBITDA? By the way, marketers, if you don't know what EBITDA is or any of the basic, uh, you know, um, accounting terms, cost of acquisition, average customer value, all those kind of things, get a book, buy it, read it, know it. You uh, will so if you want to become an executive, great, yes. you know Google AdWords, but no EBITDA. EBITDA. Yeah, it's not about the tactics at my level. It's about the business. Mm-hmm. All right. AdWords are just one tactic to drive leads, to drive pipeline, to drive sales. And I'm going to look at that as, you know, the search engine marketing is one of my channels. My average cost uh, per acquisition is $365 and the average conversion rate is 10% and the average customer lifetime value is $25,000. And yeah, and that's how I'm going to talk. Right. So you're spending less time on the tactics as you progress up through your career and more time on acronyms, basically on knowing what more they time mean, on TLAs. apply them. Yes. <laughs> that kind of stuff. You got it. And you're speaking the, the language of the board and of the investors and of the, of the executive team. Right. It, if you walk into the interview and they throw out an acronym and you don't know what it is, that's probably the end of it. That's a sign that you should probably go back to really and look it up or get your phone out and Google it. Um, I got to go to the bathroom. One second. Let one me, uh, second. That's it. What the hell is a TLA? Um, but yeah, you should be, you should be drilling down and ask and, and challenging that. Like when I went to Vanilla Soft, my first interview, I said, you know, we're talking, I'm in a room full of people, the management team, the recruiter, you know, the CEO. And, uh, and I said to him, once we got to my time to ask questions, says that I'm confused about something. And he's like, what? 
I said, your position, you are, in, you are CRM for inside sales. He says, yes, that was their positioning. Now they're a sales engagement platform. Thank gosh. I said, he goes, yes. And I said, really? You really want to be a CRM? You really want to compete with Salesforce and Pipedrive and Dynamics? That's what you want to do. Right. And he was taken aback. Now, this approach doesn't work for everybody. Buyer beware. But the fact that I challenged him on that, they loved. Now, I probably could have done it with more tact. But I imagine you, you weren't desperately trying to impress them for the job. I wasn't. You wanted I was to make trying sure to figure that's it where out. you wanted to go. That's like, exactly hey, what it was. Am I going to be, you know, uh, am I jumping on a sinking ship here that's trying yes. to, to uh, grab market share from, from Salesforce when there's so many other opportunities that are just slightly adjacent to it? And I wanted to know how they thought. So a couple of things came out of that. One, we had a great debate. But, you know, it, it, there was a little tension in the room, but it was a great debate. That was great. And then when I left, the recruiter called me a half hour later and he said, so what'd you think? And I'm like, well, that's not going to go anywhere because I just pissed off the CEO. And they said, no, they loved you. And I'm like, yeah. how? I just told him his positioning was stupid. And he goes, because they want somebody to push back. And I'm like, you know, angels are heaven are singing because finally I've got a management team here confident enough that I can voice an opinion and they're not offended. And that right. leads to healthy debate and healthy discussion. And I know that's the secret formula for success because many voices make for many ideas. And well, that's that what they're looking goal. for. I think that's what it, they're looking for. Most companies don't want a CMO that's a sycophant and is just going to go along with whatever the people there before them, right. you know, go down that same lemming path off the cliff type of a Most thing. Most don't, but some do yeah. because they don't get the role of marketing. Your job is to make leads so sales can close. And if those leads don't close, it's not sales fault, it's your fault. Really? Right. And if, if by asking those questions in the interview, you don't get the job, you're, you're in a position of power where it's because it's a job you didn't want. You're not, Correct. So I guess that's the difference between asking the questions, trying to impress them and show you know stuff and ask the questions that trying to make sure you want that job. Right. Like, you know, maybe, maybe you ask a question or two to show you know something, but the majority of them, once you get into the upper level, into the kind of uh, executive area, should be really defined out if that's a job you want to be in, if those are people you want to work with, if that's a company, if their product is somewhere you want to be. So you're not wasting your time and energy at that, at that point. And that's how my career changed right there. From the beginning, I did not know that. I did not understand the people dynamic. I did not understand how people can make or break a company or make or break my career. And I said, Brograss, I got smarter and smarter and smarter asking those questions to know, because in the end, you can have a great product and be in a great space, but if the company doesn't give you the abilities to flex your muscle, you know, and, and reward you and encourage you, despite there being conflict along the way and disagreement, you may not always get your way. If they don't give you that, you will fail. So it went, when I started off in my career, what do they do? What's so cool? Now my career, it's who are they? You know, right. what are these people about? So that was kind of the second coming of your pushing back on the color purple. Yes. Um, there where you had, it sounds like a second epiphany in owning your career. Of bef At that point, you realize, hey, I can own my career. And then you, you come into Villa, Vanilla Soft and you, you know, you basically put it to them in the interview that they might have the wrong approach to everything that a company does and uh, brings around a, um, a second epiphany on owning your career. Uh, there of not not just being able to push back, but you're actually you're actually in charge of the process now that you have all the experience and really know what you're what you're doing. Sorry, there's no question at the end there. 
No, it's okay. It was a statement. It was a wonderful statement. And the point was, even in that interview, I wasn't telling them they were doing it wrong, although I suspected they were. What I did was I did the classic, help me understand. Right? right so it's right. not offensive, but you're definitely probing. And you're legitimately asking a question. I would also say, I would not recommend anybody that go into an interview and get confrontational with the company. Yep. But if you think something's off on how they're approaching stuff and you ask about it, I imagine if Vanillasoft had come back and said, well, we're glad you asked that because here's what your job's going to be. We have this plan. And if you look at Salesforce and the other top CRMs, and here's where we think things are really going, and here's where we're going to position ourselves and why we're going to eat their lunch, you you might have said, holy shit, I want to be a part of You're right. I yes. want to be a part of that. You guys Hadn't know stuff of I don't. You know what you're doing. Good. Like yes. That's why you're asking the question. That's it's why you're asking too, questions. It's not like when you see a Congress today asking people questions, generally they're grandstanding. Don't yes. go in grandstanding. Ask the question because either way, you want to know the answer. You want to know, you want to know that they don't have the answer for this and they're not going in the right direction. And then maybe they call you back and say, you're everything we need. Please take us in the right direction. Or you want to know that they know what they're doing. You just don't know what they're doing and they're going to show you and blow your mind. And so maybe that's the second life lesson along the journey. The first one was about the, from the, it went from the product or service offering to the people as I matured and got a little savvy. The second one was I learned more and more and more to trust in myself and to value myself and to respect myself and to believe in myself and ignore the self-dealt because I knew it was all in my own control. I could always seek help from somewhere else. I could always leverage ideas that other people have done that have been proven to be winners. And that's never been more prolific today with YouTube and Google and everything else. So, you know, have confidence in yourself. And then the last thing I would, I would say in your career is people skills. Like we just said, you're not out there fluffing your feathers to say, look at me and primping and preening and say, I'm the best things you've ever met. No, 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 no. You may think that, but you, these are real people with, and they're smart too. And, and they got their job for a reason and you're going to respect them. And you're going to add lead. You're going to ask leading questions and you're going to, you're going to shut up and listen. And you're going to consider what they had to say and you're going to evaluate and then you're going to make, you know, the next decision. It's not about hearing yourself talk, not about proving how awesome you are. If you're contemplative and you're reflective and, you, and you're considerate, they will see that. And that comes across as confidence and you will be successful. That's a, an awesome place to, uh, to finish up here. And I think one thing I would add on is once you get to that position, have your eye out for those people under you that are going to push back on you and say, no, purple is a terrible color there. Or why is your product doing this when you're hiring them? And as you said, don't let your ego get in the way because those are the brilliant people you want working. Now you're, now you're the CMO. You want those smart people working for you. Those people that are going to get the job done for you because you're not doing all the lifting anymore. Now your job is to identify them and kind of and let them grow and let them own their their, their career as, as well agreed well said awesome well um daryl we went a little long today i think uh hopefully the listeners all uh, all appreciate you you being on here along with us though this is it's been fantastic we will put uh information in the show notes on everything i guess before i start signing off any anything else that you want to want to throw in there for people anything uh, i don't want to leave something out if you got any more um uh, golden nuggets here for us. No, I mean, if you want to carry on the conversation from this point on, you know, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can get me on Twitter. Uh, just Google Daryl Prale. You'll find me. I have lots of content out there. I, I should come up. I am the second most prolific Prale 
on Google. Oh. <laughs> the first being somebody I do not know who killed their mother. So just oh, wow. for there we go. <laughs> somebody with a middle name. Let's just put it that yes, way. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> no, their middle name. It's not good. It's just so you don't get mixed up with them. That's the only reason. <laughs> I am not the names. most prolific. Thank goodness. There we go. People ask that question. I guess the last um, piece of information I'll give out here to the listeners is, uh, you know, serial killers don't all have middle names because, ooh, if you have a middle name, you're a serial killer. It's so you don't think the uh, you know, Theodore Bundy that lives, although I don't think we know his middle name, but the, you know, the Daryl Prale that you meet at the convention is the serial killer. They give you the middle name so you can tell it's not the guy that you live next door to. Oh, it's a different John Smith. It's a oh, different okay. John it's John Smith. Stacy Smith. Oh, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, fantastic. Daryl, we will, the, the second most prolific Daryl Prale on, um, on the, uh, the Twitter and, and LinkedIn here, the Twitter. Fantastic. <laughs> We'll put your information on the show notes and uh, that's uh, ifyoumarket.com. Check us out there. Please do give us a uh, review on iTunes. Really helps get the word out so, so people can find us. And uh, on behalf of the If You Market team and Daryl Prale of VanillaSoft, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast where we believe if you market the shit out of it, they will come. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data. And at Mountaintop Data, we're all about data for B2B marketing. Our goal is to improve the quality, depth, and coverage of our clients' targeted marketing data while removing the technical pain of accessing and implementing data. We help with everything from new target contacts to appending and cleaning existing data, all with the goal to free you and your team up to focus on creating great marketing experiences. Check us out online at mountaintopdata.com and sign up for our new top data search tool and get free access to search our database of over 30 million business contacts. Use the code hashtag IYM when signing up and get 200 free credits. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.